Thank you, Father. My King. Hello, and welcome to The Northman, the official podcast. A deep dive into the new, critically acclaimed, action-filled epic from visionary writer-director Robert Eggers. Starring an incredible cast that includes Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Clay Spang, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, Björk, and Willem Dafoe. I'm Christina Newland, a film critic, and your host on this journey into the world of The Northmen, a gripping revenge thriller that explores just how far a Viking prince will go to get justice for his father. A classic tale of murder, love, and revenge. I am Amleth the Beowulf, son of King Arvand and Warraven, and I am his I was lucky enough to be able to speak with writer-director Robert Eggers about his vision for the most ambitious film of his career. I don't know if I've made the definitive Viking movie, but that was certainly my intention. As well as catching up with some of the all-star cast and talent that have brought this story to screen, including Alexander Skarsgård. We all have a, an inner beast. Anya Taylor-Joy. When you sign up to a Robert Eggers movie, you know the adventure that you're going on. As well as the remarkable creative talents who work behind the scenes. Director of photography, Jaron Blaschke, and costume designer, Linda Muir. I set the bar very high, and Robert keeps it there. And with the Northmen, he moved it even higher. We even got an audience with musical royalty in the form of Björk. I am honored uh, to be part of it, and Robert is an incredible artist. Told in the style of a folkloric saga, weaving the supernatural as well as the historical, and using the hallucinogenic storytelling style that could only come from director Robert Eggers, the mind behind The Witch and The Lighthouse, The Northman has to be seen to be believed. Alexander Skarsgård plays Amleth, a young prince who seeks vengeance after his father is betrayed and murdered. He falls into unusual company in the form of Anya Taylor-Joy's Olga of the Birch Forest, a woman enslaved by the Vikings who has an unusual power as a sayer of spells. Together, the two plot to fight back against the fate that has been dealt them. When will you do it? When I must. For now I will haunt this farm like a hungry corpse returned from the grave. I spoke with Robert about how the project first came about, how this new film is marked by his characteristic interest in historical accuracy and research, and what new life he wanted to breathe into this well-known mythology. I'm here with Robert Eggers, the brilliant writer-director of The Witch, The Lighthouse, and now the epic story of The Northman. How are you, Robert? Well, thanks. So I wanted to start out by asking, are there any myths or legends that The Northman is based on? So you may or may not know that Shakespeare's Hamlet was inspired by a Viking story. I didn't know that, and I'm embarrassed. I'm very much embarrassed to say because I've directed Hamlet and played Hamlet. My father's a Shakespeare professor, but uh, a few years ago, I started to think about making a, a Viking movie, and Vikings were a topic that I was not interested in at all. But then I found uh, this myth of of Amleth that became Hamlet, and realized that it would be a great framework for the film because everybody knows the story of Hamlet or the Lion King. So I can indulge in uh, Viking mythology and culture without losing the audience. So if that story is something that's quite archetypal to most audiences, then what is it about that that you get to breathe new life into as a as a filmmaker? Pretty much everything. I think like so if I can just rewind a little bit, um, uh, because of the macho stereotype of Vikings, uh, which, by the way, is completely true, I was really allergic to Vikings. I had no, zero interest in Vikings. And then I went to Iceland with my wife, who, by the way, was into Viking stories, Old Norse literature um, herself. The landscapes completely inspired me. Anyone who's been to Iceland will say that it's not a big surprise, but but they're so prehistorical and so huge. Uh, you know, every Icelander knows when you park your car, you watch which way the grass is 
blowing so that you can make sure that the wind doesn't blow the doors off your car. So this this kind of a landscape got got me wanting to read uh, the Icelandic sagas, which are the medieval stories that are written about Viking culture. So then I started thinking maybe I could make a Viking movie. And then a couple years later, Alexander Skarsgård uh, wanted to have uh, lunch. And he said that he'd been trying to make a Viking movie with one of my good friends, Lars Knudsen, who produced The Witch for quite some time. And I had no idea. I had no idea that Lars, Lars was doing this. And then uh, we got talking and Alex had seen The Witch and we thought, let's, uh, let's do it. Let's, let's make a Viking movie. So then I began to, to kind of research and, and, and find something. And I knew that you know, uh, Viking stories tend to be revenge stories. And then when I found this Amleth story, this could really, this could really work. Father! Remember, for whom you shed your last teardrop. I don't know if I've made the definitive Viking movie, but that was certainly my intention. So we needed to have long ships sailing in, returning home uh, at the beginning of the film. We needed to have raids. We wanted to have a Viking funeral, trying to find all the... Uh, big set pieces that if you say Vikings, people might think of and deliver that, but to deliver that in a way that people have never seen before. And and my approach to making things new is by turning to the past and doing a tremendous amount of research and, and trying to make the most historically accurate Viking movie that's ever been made, which is that's an incredibly low bar. <laughs> so, so it was easy to accomplish. But um, I think I think since Wagner put horns on helmets, people have been reinventing Vikings in pop culture. And, uh, you know, thankfully for me, be- because of the interest in things like History Channel's Vikings show and and other shows and video games, there is an appetite for Viking stuff out there. So so that made this movie financeable. But you know, the Vikings uh, that we think of today with the undercut and the long braid and all and all this crazy leather fantasy stuff is completely invention. Difficult is the sword's nature, for it can only be unsheathed in the dark of night or else at hell's black gates. The gates of hell, there will my sword be just. What would you say are the ongoing preoccupations with history that go throughout your work? For, for me, you know, I like to explore who we are and where we're going from where we came from. And like the most exciting thing for me is to be reading about people who think nothing like me and are behaving in ways that I would not behave. And then to just try to get inside their head and finally come to the place of, oh, if, if I were alive, then I could think and behave like that too. And then they become contemporary. And, and so when I try to tell, uh, tell a story that takes place in the past, I'm very obsessive about recreating uh, the material world, the physical world. That's a lot of fun. But what's more interesting is trying to articulate what's in their, what's in their minds. And I think that for, for me, when I watch a historical movie that tries to impose modern morals uh, on it, it becomes spoon feedy, and I don't really gain anything. But I, but looking at it this way, I, I hope we're able to take a look at our ourselves, you know, through the the distant mirror that is the past. Prowling shadow, snare of my people, hide. Even though your brother stole my eyes, I see you. Can I ask a bit about your working relationship with Schoen and Bjork and how that came about? Yes. So one of the composers, Robin Carolyn, who's a good friend of mine, introduced me to to Bjork. And Bjork introduced me to Schoen. And, um, and, and Schoen is, uh, I didn't know him and I didn't know his work, but when we met at Bjork's house, I uh, asked him what 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 kind of stuff he wrote, and he said that his most recent novel was about early modern witchcraft in Iceland. And of course, my most recent film at the time was about early modern witchcraft in New England. So we got along very well. And then I read his books and was just completely floored by the way he's able to, as I try to do, transport people into the past. And but then his 
sense of, you know, being an all seeing eye, <laughs> it was, it was really amazing. And, and when, uh, when the idea of the Viking movie became real, um, I, I wanted it to work with an Icelander uh, because even the, the, uh, the Icelanders who's, who's the most allergic to the idea of Vikings, they know what saga characters they're directly related to because this, these stories are so massively important to, to their culture. Um, and so Shion has that. But, but then as far as um, – you know, Björk's involvement in the film, I think, you know, she hadn't been in a movie for 17 years, but uh, but because she's known Shion since she was a teenager and friends with Robin and my wife and I developed a relationship with Björk, I think she felt that it would be a familial enough environment to, to, to return to cinema. And, you know, it was it's only one day. She gets the great headdress. I mean, the outfitting is amazing. When she was so. trying the headdress on, there was a moment where she paused and she had her head down. And I said, oh, is this, is this too uncomfortable? And she was like, I've worn so much more uncomfortable things for my own shows. Like, don't worry <laughs> about it. From his fate, a beast that cares for naught. A beast that brings tears from the eyes of man. So I know you said that you found out that Alexander Skarsgård was already interested in, in making a Viking film. But can you tell me a little bit more about why he felt so well suited to the role of Amleth. On the most surface level, he's the most like bankable Nordic movie star who's like six foot four, but he totally committed to this role. I think, you know, Oscar Novak, who plays young Amleth, was cast because of his innocence and almost like fragility, which would contrast the complete giant beast that Alex turned himself into. But I but Alex has that innocence and and fragility in in his eyes. So I and I think that that makes that the the character very powerful especially cuz Alex channeled like such incredible rage in in playing this character which is just not Alex. Like Alex is like the nicest guy ever. So to see him become this machine uh, was really inspiring. And I really, I mean, he feels like the real thing. I want to avenge you, father. I want to avenge you, father. Swedish-born actor Alexander Skarsgård always wanted to make a Viking film, a time period which has long held a preoccupation for him. As well as serving as co-producer on the film, he stars as Amleth, a vengeful Viking prince on a rampage. I sat down to speak with Alexander about his passion for the project, as well as the intense physical and mental challenges of a performance as embodied as this one. When we first meet him, he's a young boy, um, and uh, his father returns from, from an expedition to a faraway place. Uh, he's, he's been gone for a long time, he gets back. Amlet is really excited to be reunited with his father. And the following day, his father gets is murdered by his brother, Amlet's uh, uncle. And Amlet's uh, mother gets taken by Fjolnir, his uncle, and his henchman. Amlet manages to escape the island, unbeknownst to Fjolnir, who believes that he's been murdered along with his father. So that's kind of the prologue. And then 10, 20 years later, we meet Amlet, um, and he is now a berserker. He has promised to avenge the death of his father and to save his mother and kill his uncle. Um, but when we meet him 20 years later, he has kind of wandered off his path and is uh, in many ways a, an abandoned boy in the body of a, a Viking berserker. So he is um, he's lost until the moment where he is reminded by someone in the movie uh, who he is and what his mission is and what his fate is and what he has to do. And that's kind of where the story really takes off when he gets that, um, that, that, uh, that slap in his face, basically, metaphorically speaking. I will enjoy feeding Drogor till then in everlasting night. Then shall you also enjoy the moment when you must choose between kindness for your kin or hate for your enemies. That is nothing. My heart knows only revenge. What is it like to embody somebody from 
895 AD. It entailed doing a lot of research, a lot of reading, um, different books on by Viking historians and scholars about the Viking Age, about Norse mythology. I would watch a lot of lectures online. My Viking Bible, for lack of a better word, uh, was um, a book by Neil Price uh, called uh, Children of Ashen Elm, which is a fantastic read and I highly recommend it to your listeners if, 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 if people are interested in learning more about um, Viking culture and Norse mythology. And that was during both pre-production and the shoot, kind of my go-to source for understanding uh, Amleth. And one aspect that was very important to get was <clears throat> there are a lot of supernatural elements in the movie, but in order to make them real to Amleth, they're, they're supposed to feel supernatural to an audience in 2022, but, but not anything unusual to someone who lived during the Viking Age. It was important to understand his relationship to nature, his relationship to spirits, because again, in, in the movie, all that stuff that, that, that he has to um, endure and go through is just absolutely natural to him. Be, believing in that was not a choice. Uh, it's not like there was such a thing as a Viking atheist. Like All that was 100% natural and real. Um, so it, I had to kind of re-educate myself and go a bit deeper into the Norse mythology behind it. Obviously, it's an immensely physical performance, and Amleth is capable of incredible violence. I wondered if you had any difficulty sympathizing with your character? I wanted to understand Amleth, and I wanted the audience to understand him and, and be with him on this journey, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to condone what he does. And it was important to depict these, these battles, these raids, in a not glossy way, um, it, it, it was imperative that it would be visceral and, 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 and primal and, 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 and graphic and intense and to, to show the brutality of it um, and, and, and to depict that in a, in a truthful way was, was very, very important. Alongside Alexander Skarsgård, Anya Taylor-Joy turns in one of the most pivotal and bewitching performances in the film, playing a seeress with mystical powers, known as Olga of the Birch Forest. The actress talks to me about braving inhospitable film sets and creating the courageous character of Olga, how the role cleverly subverts the power dynamics between men and women in the film. Hi, Anya. Hello. So I wanted to start out by asking you if you could maybe describe your character in The Northman for me and a little bit about the journey that she goes on. Goodness, yes. Um, Olga is somebody that is very, very connected to both the land and her deities. Um, something that I loved about playing her was she's present in the sense that she's aware of what's going on exactly in that moment, but she seems to have this overarching eye at all times where she's seeing how things play into fate. Um, and her journey is quite harrowing. And something that I really admire in her is her resilience. She never really, there's not even a moment where she decides to stop fighting from the very second that she's stolen from her land, she's plotting to get back. And I, I loved that about her. I was interested to know a little bit about you and Robert Eggers, since you're, both of your careers have blossomed so much since you first worked together. And um, I wondered how much had changed or maybe hadn't changed with working together from The Witch to now. I mean, what hasn't changed is I didn't realize how much of my onset comportment and DNA comes from working with him. And of course, it makes complete sense. He was my first real director. But being back on set with him again, I was like, oh, this is why I am the way that I am. It's from this first relationship. Um, so that bond has only strengthened and our shorthand has become even shorter. You know, I can kind of tell what he's thinking immediately. What has changed is um, significantly bigger budget on this one. You know, we could afford to shoot one scene 
all day, which was crazy and so helpful, especially on a film where it's storyboarded from the moment that you sign on to the project. And a lot of this film is just big, long takes with a lot of supporting artists, the elements playing with us, horses, mules, everything that you could possibly imagine. So it is helpful to have the whole day to get it right. Because if you're trying to get it done before lunch, you would uh, you would struggle. When you say that uh, about sort of your DNA as an actress starting off with Robert Eggers, what is it that you think that that first film instilled in you? A dedication to hard work, a lack of being precious. I'm really not princessy in any way, shape or form. I am deep in the mud. I will help in any way that I can. I am committed to filmmaking and see my job, not just as what I do in front of the camera, but the experience. Yeah, I also, I think it instilled in me, I'm not into kid gloves. I don't like people flattering me. I like people to tell me what it is so I can make it better. And my friends call it efficient Anya, that I get into a, a state on set where I'm just like, be very clear with me. Like, tell me exactly as it is, because I, I'm in this kind of state where I can make that happen, um, if that makes sense. I wondered a little bit about how you get artistic or historical inspiration for constructing a character like Olga when it's somebody that just lived so long ago or was supposed to have lived so long ago. It's a combination of understanding the world from Robert. And he's one of the few people that I'll say I love to read, but I would rather hear him tell me the history than learn about it myself because his spin on it is something that I have kind of like a, a childlike wonder about. I love to be told stories and he's obviously a wonderful storyteller, but I think it's also people are people, whatever time. So the emotions of that is something that I could connect to very easily. I think what's crazy about this particular time period is how difficult it was to stay alive every day. Something's trying to kill you in some aspect. And so you kind of understand why, like, I think both Rob and I struggled at the beginning because we wanted, he wanted the writing to be more florid and I wanted my delivery to be more lyrical. And then you get into the world and you're like, oh no, yeah, people needed to be direct because otherwise you were going to die. And that's just the way that it is. Can I ask a bit about, becoming Olga, especially in terms of getting an accent, um, which again is one of those things is you're talking about, you know, 895 AD, I think the film starts. I know, yeah. So how does that work? Well, we had a wonderful dialect coach called Brandon Gunn, who was very helpful because what's also difficult is if you were to do it entirely accurately, you wouldn't be able to understand us, you know, and it's also, it's our interpretation of what this dialogue is we have no recorded copies obviously of like what people actually sounded like but what I did think was interesting was within all the different sects of people we all have slightly different accents so the Icelandic people have a particular way of speaking I come from a different place and my accent is slightly different um, and then all of the Slavic prayers and spells that was just so much fun because the first time you read through it, you're like, oh, I'm learning nonsense words, essentially. Like that's, I, I have to remember nonsense words. And then as you start getting into it and your tongue kind of fits around it, you start imbuing it with so much meaning. And Robert had underneath a, an English translation of what I was saying. And so you start getting really, really into it. And it just adds this other level of, um, of connection to your character because she's even more removed from you. You know what I mean? You can make her 3D in that way. Fiona thinks Amleth is long dead. Yes, but what of your mother? She will revel in Fiona's anguish. She only feigns her love to protect her child. Won't she wish? When I free her, I will bring the boy if I must. A lot of the film relies on your chemistry with Alexander Skarsgård. I wondered, are there any particular scenes or moments that you felt really pivotal to their relationship in the film? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, A, it, it's so helpful to get along with your co-stars. Alex is like a big brother to me and he made me feel so safe and comfortable because this is definitely the film where I've 
been more exposed, I will say. And as weird as it sounds, those are the kind of scenes that you want to do with someone that you have a sibling like relationship with because they're going to take care of you. And, you know, that element is insanely helpful. Um, I, I actually really love the first time that they properly meet because she doesn't trust him at all. And yet at the same time, she has a feeling about this person means something. I know that this thread of fate is going to take me somewhere, but at the same time, I do not like you very much right now. And that was kind of fun to do. And for him to see her connection uh, to the land and her connection to spirits, I, I think there's a mutual level of like fear in there that then it's fun to unpack as the movie goes on. I have the cunning to break their minds. And night by night, we will carry out my pledge of vengeance. So this character is a sort of a sayer of spells, she's called. She has these otherworldly connections or powers. And there's that question with your character in The Witch as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I wondered, do you think there's something that have you and Robert spoken about or that he sees in you as an actress um, that allows you to play those sorts of parts? Oh, I mean, I guess that's a that's a question for Rob. But Rob has always, I've always been very spiritual in my own life. And Rob has a healthy amount of respect and love for that aspect of myself. So he likes seeing me witch out on camera, for sure. Because he's like, go, <laughs> go, have a good time. And we both have a, a fascination with the occult. Um, and the metaphysical. And I think we both nerd out over that quite a bit. So we've, he's just found a kindred spirit in me. What kind of set does Robert cultivate, especially when you're talking about, you know, what you're saying about the difference between budgets, you know, and kind of maintaining a certain amount of intimacy or, between the actors and the camera and, and that sort of thing. What is it like on set for you guys? Is there a lot of discussion, rehearsal? Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of rehearsals for the big tracking shots which the majority of this movie is is made up of um because you have to that's a heavy reset if you don't get it right which I really enjoy I love that kind of pressure um hopefully other people do too but I also think when you sign up to a Robert Eggers movie you know the adventure that you're going on and so you have to bring a hefty level of gung-ho spirit of like okay Today, we're going to ride a helicopter up to a mountain in our bare feet and, you know, just be there for hours in the rain, in the snow. It doesn't matter. Like, this is what we're going to do. And I think there's an atmosphere of we're all in this together because everyone's going through it. It's not like Rob's in a nice, cozy tent. He might be wearing waterproof gear, but he's in it, same as all of us, you know, and I think that adds a really nice sense of teamwork to the film. I really enjoy being pushed to a physical extreme. And I don't necessarily look like someone that would fare well in that environment. And so I remember it was like hour four of all of us being in the Irish Sea, like in, what was it, October? And all the stunt guys are like, can we get out of the water? And I was just frolicking. I was like, this is amazing. Isn't this wonderful? I'm having the time of my life. So I think, I think that must have been quite, quite a thing to see, but I can't help it. I just get so excited by, by being in those situations, by being able to live history in that way. Um, but there was one day where, I mean, I'm barefoot the entire movie really. And there was one day where the mud was pretty much up to my knees and had frozen. And there's a certain point where you can't, you can mind over master it as much as you want to, but at some point you're getting frostbite. And I remember just like out of my mouth just came, please. And I saw Rob and Jaren's faces go, oh, okay, it's bad. Like Anya's just been like, can you please roll? And um, yeah, they, they helped me out that day, but I'm not, I'm not much of a complainer. I, I, I try and take as much as I can. Probably better than I'd be in that situation. <laughs> For Björk, the Icelandic-born musical icon, the Northmen couldn't help but to be close to her heart. It was co-written by her longtime collaborator and friend, Sean, 
and it was at her table that Sean and Robert Eggers met. She talked to me about playing a mystic, her first on-screen role in well over a decade. Bjork, what a privilege to meet you. Yeah, good to talk to you. Is it right that Sean and Robert Eggers met through you? Oh, yes. Uh, me and Robert, we have a mutual friend uh, that told me that Robert was coming to Iceland. And when he came here, I set up a dinner and kind of invited my friend Sean as well. I just had an impulse that they would uh, get along, you know, that they had something in common. But I wasn't thinking projects or like work or anything. I was just thinking more good conversation, you know. <laughs> so would you say you're the foundation stone for the film? Well, I'm not going to take the credit for this. I am maybe some sort of a midwife for some things, but I think also when you talk to even Alexander Skarsgård, it sounds like he had wanted to do a Viking film for a long time. So, yeah, I think I think this film is um, is like many reasons why this film exists, for sure. Can you tell me who your character is in The Northman and what role she performs in the story? Yes, I, I guess I am like a, a shaman. So I am someone who uh, people will have a conversation with if they want to connect with their subconscious. There are three uh, shamans in the film, acted by me, uh, Icelandic actor Ingvar Sigurdsson and Willem Dafoe. And we three all, we sort of almost act the same force or the same person, the three of us, uh, where we sort of, we, we come from the subconscious or from the underworld reminding the lead characters about their mission or, or their uh, purpose in life. Keep, keep them on track. <laughs> Coming from Iceland, why do you think there's such a continuing fascination with Viking history? What has been happening the last 20 years in archaeology, they are discovering that Vikings were so much more than just raping and pillaging. You know, they, they had just this complex culture, poetry, weaving textiles as any tribes or, or, or clans that were alive at that time you know yeah I think in Iceland we we haven't had an army for many hundreds of years and and this is um we sort of like more Switzerland than Switzerland uh when it comes to war and the Viking stories that happened 1000 years ago I would say that in Iceland from the from the 1300s uh, and after that, there was much, much less violence. And, and so, yeah, for 700 years, we've had a pretty peaceful country and we became more like the, the documentarians, the people who are writing the sagas and, and writing the storybooks and, and, and preserving the, the music scores and also being in an island so far away from Europe, we could we sort of were always arm's length from, from wars or, or conflicts. And I would say the last 20 years, Icelanders have been really reconnecting to the Viking time, but more in, you know, to the cultural side of things or poetry or the literature or the sagas not the war and the violence. This film has an incredibly detailed world. What did it feel like to be in this universe when you were filming? The set was, was absolutely gorgeous with the smells of all the woods uh, that the sets were made from. It was, you almost, you didn't have to act because it was just so realistic that you, you felt like you were there, you know. And, and of course, Robert and his wife, Alexandra, they are famous for their, um, their background in, in sets. Tell me about Robert Eggers. What kind of director is he? Yeah, he was incredible. He was really uh, um, patient. And because I'm, I'm not an actress, I'm, uh, I'm a musician. The atmosphere on set was very... There was a lot of room and a lot of space for everybody's opinion and characters. There was a lot of humor, uh, kindness, intelligence. I am honored uh, to be part of it, and Robert is an incredible artist. It is not enough to be the man that never cries, Prince. 
The female characters in the film are particularly interesting, never merely tokens of superficial empowerment, but complex individuals attempting to survive and seek power in a violently male world, dominated largely by brute force. In the face of that, Nicole Kidman's Queen Guthrin and Anya Taylor-Joy's Olga of the Birch Forest use cunning, intelligence, and men's own bias to their advantage. Robert, could you tell us about the character of Guthrin and the casting of Nicole Kidman for the role? Yeah, so um, Guthrin, who is Amleth's mother, uh, is uh, like, there's a, there's a lot of Guthrins in Viking stories, uh, like literally literally with the name, but they tend to be big characters, and um, you know some some people have have said it's you know this is Hamlet, but his mother's Lady Macbeth. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, we, we started thinking about Nicole, uh, really soon. And, and obviously Alex has a nice relationship with her because of Big Little Lies. So I reached out to her right away. I mean, I, I think she was the next person we went out to, um, or the first person we went out to because Alex was attached to the project. And I was nervous, uh, to, to meet her and nervous that she wouldn't want to do it. But I flew to Nashville and after talking for about 90 seconds, she said, don't worry, like, I'm going to be in the movie. So uh, so that was cool. I mean, she's really the linchpin of the story in some ways as well. And even though it's very much Amleth's perspective, you know, there, there's something very uh, ambiguous, I guess, for a lot of the film about her role. So did you have any kind of insight into or conversations about how she was going to present that? Yeah, I mean, Nicole's incredibly intelligent. She gave a lot of feedback on the role and, and her script and made it a lot... Uh, uh, more rich and 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 com- and complex and and certainly uh, in a in a film with a, the, a lot of these big action set pieces that scene was very enjoyable to shoot because it's more uh, you know a, a, you know it's acting it's it's more it's more of a chamber piece like my my other films so it was it was a pleasure to like do some real scene work like that and Nicole's incredibly inspiring to to work with on set as well. The film is very dominated by sort of male brute strength and violence, but there's a cunning and a shrewdness about the female characters. It's sort of their own soft power uh, in its own way. I was curious about writing or the thinking behind some of the the female parts in the film. Yeah, uh, again, I think uh, in some of these contemporary Viking shows, there's like hordes and hordes of female warriors which is just incredibly unlikely uh you, you know and i and I, I work we're working with like the finest historians and archaeologists um and and folklorists uh, to, to 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 like convey this viking culture and you know and and Johan Katrin Friedrich Stoltier, uh, who wrote a book, Valkyrie, recently, you know, she doesn't believe in female Viking warriors, but, you know, but there there was a, a grave uh, in, in Birka that many historians, including Neil Price, who worked on the film, feel like very strongly that, that she is, she was a, a female commander uh, of high status, and she makes a very brief appearance early on in the film. You might miss her. <laughs> but But I think in general... You know, you're as you said. You're you know, in a man's world, how do women find power? And you know, and it's through intelligence. The Viking period's not a great period to be a woman, but it's a much better period to be a witch. Uh, <laughs> you know, but of course, women played a massive role in in 10th century Viking culture. One small example is one of the first things that you might think of if you just hear the word Vikings is Viking ships. And, you know, that were the most technologically advanced ships of their day. Who made the sails? Women. Did you find it? What you lost? In the house today, was it there? That. And the more. Anya, when you look at your character and Olga's power in her shrewdness, do you think that the Northman is saying something about strength and power in women at this time? I think everybody has their own strengths. And what I appreciate about the way that Amleth 
witnesses Olga is I don't think he for a second thinks that he is the better of the two of them. And I don't think the film positions it that way. He has a very particular strength, so does she, but they need each other. And I think as you see their relationship progress, you see the kind of ebb and flow of who's helping who more in that instance. But there's no sense of, I am big, strong man, you are weak, feeble woman. That's not really the, the tone that we're going for. So there was a day in rehearsal where Clace Bang's character awakens me from my sleep with bad intentions. And we were kind of discussing how that scene was going to go. And I said to Robert, which I think is, I've shocked him a couple of times, but anytime I can shock Robert Eggers, that makes me feel very proud because like, especially in the land of gore, I'm like, <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> And I just said, you know, I, I wanted to smear my womanhood upon his face as a way of getting him away. And Robert was like, that's cool. And I said, this is who this person is. Like that is, that's that kind of bite and that fierceness. Um, and that world is so filled with mysticism that a woman's blood is a frightening thing, you know what I mean? And I wanted to harness that and have that be the way that she escapes um, this particular situation. And I was really proud that it made it into the film because I loved it. <laughs> that's so interesting because that's such a courageous decision to make as an actress. And, you know, it, it feeds so well into that whole history of like, you know, when they used to in ancient times put women separate mm -hmm. from the men. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, how yeah. do you how do you freak out this person? How do you get them away? And I was like, I think I think this might be this might be the way to do it. <laughs> as well as Anya Taylor-Joy, many of Robert Eggers' previous collaborators came back to help bring the Northmen to life. Working with Anya and Willem Dafoe and Jaron and Craig, Linda, Lou, who I've worked with many times and working with them again. That is like an absolute pleasure. Jaron Blaschke, director of photography on The Northman, first met Robert Eggers in the early 2000s. That long-running friendship informed their working relationship from the beginning, and their collaboration on Robert Eggers' previous two films, The Witch and The Lighthouse, allowed their deep mutual passions for esoteric history and folklore to blossom on screen. We're kind of husband and wife at this point, you know. <laughs> um, it's really easy and I don't, you know, I know I can put some outlandish stuff out there and it's all safe and there's no, you know, I can go far and he's going to trim me back and, you know, we can uh, just be totally open. That That's uh, what kind of makes the, uh, I don't know, working with him incomparable. What kind of look or aesthetic did Robert want you to capture with this film? In the email, it said he wanted a lot of long takes with a lot of, quote, shit going on in the background. I said, okay, what's the, you know, what's the, okay, I'm just going to take that to the furthest extent. How do we present this thing in, in the most uh, distilled, uh, streamlined way possible, uh, which can be the most complicated thing to do, you know? What kind of research or reference points did you draw on for The Northman? This film is set so long ago that it must have been difficult. Yeah, tapestry uh, and, and a carving uh, aren't of much use to me. You're just making cinema, I guess. I mean, Rob, before every movie, emailed a long list of films that, you know, he would like uh, me to watch uh, for various reasons. Uh, and then when we get together and prep, uh, he, he kind of, we look at select scenes and I can better get a sense of like why this particular movie was on the list. What were some of the movies on the list that Robert gave you? I mean, Andre Rublev is definitely the one. It was kind of like, yeah, that was kind of a big starting point. Come and See is the other one. As far as just like feeling, you know, people, they also burn a barn and all that. But those are kind of the two that I recall watching. Um, those two vibes. Um, and then, you know, as, as, as it went on and you're doing scenes with the Warrior King and all this, uh, magical stuff. It's like, yeah, in the end, it's kind of Andre Rublev and Conan the Barbarian, you know, somehow some bastard child of, of those two, you know, it's almost a dare to yourself. Can you, can you combine Andre Rublev and Conan the Barbarian, you know, let's see, you know, that's, that's a weird idea. Uh, great. Let's go for it. Another one of Robert's returning collaborators was costume designer Linda Muir, also a key player in bringing the world of the Northmen to life. 
While designing the costumes for the feature films that uh, Robert has written to date has been extremely rewarding for me. I set the bar very high uh, for production values and costuming, and Robert keeps it there. And with the Northmen, he moved it even higher. Our aesthetics are very similar, and uh, the Robert is drawn more to black and white and gray with a splash of red, perhaps. I'm, I'm always looking for opportunities to utilize color, you know, to, to help plug in the audience's emotions and to have them respond, you know, more to the characters. I'm interested to know about the detail in the costume, uh, the textiles and the cloth. They all convey a lot about the sort of artisan lifestyle that was important to the Vikings. I was curious to know about the, um, the beginnings of doing that sort of research. Well, when I started in the um, early, early pre-prep period uh, for the Northmen, uh, outside of the basic mythology and its characters and perhaps a vague idea about the scope of their travels, I really didn't know that much that was factual about Viking life. But as I read and absorbed more and more of the information, I started to understand just how extraordinary the Viking culture was. Well, I think it's, a, it's probably a, a more rounded picture of Viking life than, than we have perhaps seen in other films. Yes, one of the things I was going to say is when I think of other Viking films, uh, the first one that pops into my head is the Tony Curtis one from the 1950s. And, you know, that's a very artificial looking uh, style, I guess. And I think the Northman really moves away from that to something which feels you know, quite authentic. Uh, yeah, I, th I think that, I mean, you know, people, different different filmmakers have different reasons for creating the looks that they go for. Ours was um, definitely driven by Robert's phenomenal interest in detail and, and uh, authenticity. I mean, when he when he writes the scripts for, for any of the feature films that he's done, he really surrounds himself in um, research and is, is an amazing source, you know, to start with. You know, so, so I go through all of that research and then sort of set off like an explorer and do my own research and come back with other tidbits and, and you know, proof of this and proof of that. And wouldn't this be great and, you know, to use in this particular set of circumstances? Wouldn't this be interesting, you know, an interesting detail to perhaps use for this character? And I guess, I guess that's the first stage really, is becoming familiar with the material enough so that when, when the designing process starts, you know, you have that all in your mind and you have it at hand and you can start thinking, like, what, what would this add to a scene, you know, to, to kind of fill out the picture? How many days does it take? How many people does it take to create, you know, what's the team look like? What, what does the, the labor look like to go into creating the costumes on this film? Well, I mean, I, I started by myself in my office in Toronto, uh, scouring the internet for months, looking for hand-woven woolen fabrics and really kind of getting to a position where once I flew to Ireland and started to assemble our production team, could we locate folks who were a part of the reenacting community who were actively making Viking clothing to have that sensibility was really key. It was really delightful to see over the period of time that we worked on the film, people, you know, coming on board and really embracing the idea of the research and the amount of hand sewing involved in making the costumes. And we made um, I think we made over 900 hand-sewn pieces for the film, you know, hundreds of, of pairs of handmade and partially machine-made shoes and boots for the film. So there's a lot of work that went into, you know, trying to give the impression of designs that are, you know, truly authentic to, to what we know of the Viking period. The hard work and preparation required by everyone involved in a Robert Eggers film is no more apparent than in one remarkably long tracking shot, in which we see a group of warriors raiding and pillaging a village, killing or maiming everyone in their path as the villagers scatter in terror. The berserker warriors uh, are warriors that threw 
uh, an ecstatic, shamanistic war dance, they become, in their minds, these supernatural man-beasts who are almost invincible. And these berserker warriors would be at at the front lines of, of attack. The scene was shot in one long, continuous take, an exhilarating challenge for actor Alexander Skarsgård. We all have a, an inner beast, and to just let that one free, set it free, let it out. The way Rob and, and Jared, the cinematographer, the way they work is quite unique. There are no, no cuts in the scene. They're all shot with, as one long, continuous shot. And, um, so that demanded a tremendous amount of preparation in order to be able to get those scenes right. And um, we would rehearse it a lot. We would work on the choreography of the fight scenes um, so that when we showed up, we already knew exactly how to move uh, with fluidity through through the, the landscape uh, and what my relationship would be to, to the camera. Sometimes to shoot scenes from the very beginning every time was physically and, and, and mentally quite challenging. We, you know, we wanted a Viking raid, and this was something that was incredibly, incredibly planned. We we do it in in two very long shots, and uh, and and certainly me and the DP Jaron Blaschke hadn't hadn't ever made a film at this scale before. You know, we we storyboarded the sequence, which w- would have to change uh, ever so slightly all the time as we were working more with CC Smith, the stunt coordinator, um, and you know, and the entire village was constructed by scratch, and we were you know uh, constantly figuring out where to position each building so that we could move the camera and get certain horses, and all, you know. So it was, I mean, it was uh, it was a very complex thing. It's probably the most difficult sequence to, to, to film in the film. To do it from the top every single time was, uh, it, it, it actually helped that we got, an, had an opportunity every time to kind of build up and, and, and work ourselves into that kind of adrenaline-filled rage and, and, and try to let that inner wolf or the inner bear out. Robert, I wanted to ask you about the sound in this movie, which, when you're in the cinema, is overpowering in a in a good way. Yeah, thanks. I, I think like uh, as much as you need to see this on the big screen to experience uh, the landscapes and the action sequences, you can't really experience that without the, the sound. And 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 the sound experience in the movie theater is in some ways the most important thing. And so, yeah, I think uh, y- you know really capturing these epic landscapes you always need the wind you need to like you know to 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 feel the waves crashing against the side of the viking ship you need to to hear that and uh and the the sounds of the natural world are really everywhere part of when i went to iceland and is thinking like people in the so-called dark ages came to this place and didn't die <laughs> you know it's it's crazy um so, so we so we wanted the soundscape to be all encompassing, and, and unlike uh, a lot of typical movies of this scale, even the kinds of like stings, which are uh, little sound effects that are subliminal to kind of like clue the audience into things or make certain things land, we use you know wing flaps and. Uh, wolf howls like hidden in, in the sounds to articulate these things rather than any kind of uh, electronic stuff that you might use today. A similarly spectacular scene occurs at the climax of the film, in which Alexander Skarsgård was required to enact a sword fight at the edge of a volcano. That was shot like pretty much almost all the other scenes with one, just one shot, one long continuous take. So it, it was shot towards the end of production. So it was uh, a week of nights and um, it was very, it was very cold, it was snowing a couple of the nights and we're obviously 
both Clay's and I are butt naked, and um, I'm covered in blood. So it was they would basically hose me down before each take. <laughs> it was um, it, it was cold, and and um, and also with all the smoke going on because it's again it's a, an erupting volcano we're fighting on. Uh, it was visibility was really bad, and it's a long scene choreographed fight scene that um, you kind of have to remember uh, and, and, and also have the physical ability to to do over and over again when your body is cold and stiff. Uh, so it was uh, it was challenging, but in pre-production there was in, in the production office, Rob and Jaron had a, a, a drawing of what they how they envisioned the, the end the end fight and it was this um, it looks like a Renaissance painting of, of two naked, Vikings fighting on, on 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 top of an erupting volcano, and the lava was flowing between the, their legs, and it, it it's an absolutely stunning image, and um, I'm really glad I saw that in prep because when we were out there in that quarry where we shot the the end fight, um, those nights when we were all struggling to kind of <laughs> uh, to to get through the night, that image when I closed my eyes was what helped me get through it because it, I, I felt if we can get even close to how stunning and that image looks, then then uh, it'll, it'll be worth it all. Yeah. Well, I certainly think it was. I can't wait to see it again. Oh, thank you. I'm very happy. Relieved to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> if The Northman is a thrilling combination of wild pagan superstition and pop corn-munching spectacle, it may also have some deeper reverberations. Folklore has its roots in societies trying to make sense of their world, and Robert Eggers' film may also work as an intricate, indirect Rorschach test of war, violence, and social order. You must choose between kindness for your kin or hate for your enemies. I was going to ask a little bit about the violence in the film. There's a real intensity to it. It's got slightly uh, Boschian qualities at times. I wondered if there was any kind of visual reference or thinking behind how you were going to present it. It's a really tough line to walk, and I don't know if I achieved it. But on the one hand, the, the Viking sagas can read like action 80s, 80s action movies, truly. Like, I'm not, I'm not really exaggerating. And it is, it's a big epic movie for like popcorn eating audiences so you know on the one hand the violence needs to be thrilling and entertaining but on the other hand I don't want to be glorifying violence you know and uh, so so it needs to be brutal and it needs to be ugly and there and and there are times when I hope you know the audience <laughs> feels guilty for enjoying it maybe um, I'm trying to pr present the Vi Viking culture without judgment, you know, and but they're doing things that I don't believe in and can't justify. And one, you know, one of the things that struck me and got me excited about Viking culture when I read the sagas is the modernity of of the characters. Not again, they're not acting in a modern way but they are conflicted and they're not black and white. And some of the heroes, like my, some my, my, my favorite saga heroes are anti-heroes and often outlaws. Like, ki like killing people at night the way that Amleth does is not cool, like in Viking culture. Like that's not the right way to behave, you know? And the villains in some of these sagas, you know, can be loving parents and loving husbands and you know, there's a lot in a, in a culture that is uh, that was so obsessed with honor and revenge. Sometimes these husbands, brothers, fathers, sons didn't want to do it, and you know, and their, their wife is dragging out the cloak of their dead son, covered in blood, saying, "Look what look what they did to your son!" Like you, you must seek vengeance in a time when it feels, certainly from our perspective, that the value of life was less. Uh, a life is still a life. A beast that cares for naught. A beast that brings tears from the eyes of man. Can I ask you what the most exciting part of making this film was for you? I mean, I'm shocked that I got to make it. <laughs> I, I learned so much. You know, when we wrapped, 
the last day, Ethan was there and he put his arms around me and Jaron and he was like, well, congratulations guys, you know, like you guys can make, you can do anything now because you've done everything you can possibly do in a movie, in this movie, aside from like cars and helicopters, but you don't like that shit anyway, Rob. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's cool. But also Jaron and I were like, yeah, now we have the experience to make the movie we just made. <laughs> I will enjoy feeding Droegor till then in everlasting night. And shall you also enjoy the moment when you must choose between kindness for your kin or hate for your enemies? Alexander, could you tell me where you feel Amleth ends up at the end of the film? For me, by the film's conclusion, it, it feels like it questions the validity of masculine revenge. I, I'd rather not talk too much about that. It, there's a risk of robbing the audience of, of that experience, and I want it to be a subjective experience. So we, we had the, 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 the world premiere in Stockholm last week, which was a, a real treat for me to have it in the town where I was born and raised. And, and my sister threw the after party at the Viking Museum of Stockholm, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, um, so it was a very memorable night and very, very emotional for me. But there were a lot of people there who interpreted the, the ending different ways. And uh, they came with lots of different feelings and thoughts on was it, was it sad? Was it happy? Was it the right thing? Was it the wrong thing? And and I like, and I love that that it's that it leaves it open like that. And I, it'd be a disservice for me to sit and say and talk about like how I feel about it or how uh, how I hope people will react. I think it's the less people know about that, the better. I think. I am Amleth the Bad Wolf, son of King Arvand the War Raven, and I am. It's a privilege to be part of the project from the very genesis. In shaping it and in discovering who Amleth was, it's quite unusual as an actor to be part of it from, from, from the very beginning. And also, the way Robert works on set is very different, especially different from other uh big action adventure movies it's 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 very rare to shoot it well it's very rare to shoot on film these days it's very rare to do it with a single camera and where all the even the big set pieces are shot with just one long continuous shot one one take i mean this very genuinely i feel very proud and lucky in my career that i really love I would say like 99% of the films that I've made. And with this film, when it finished, I was actually breathless. It was, I couldn't breathe. And the people around me, it was the same. And I think every frame is so beautiful that the assault of information that you're getting is so much that you are just on this ride. And I remember halfway through my first viewing of the film thinking, I know what happens in this story. And I've already seen so many images that will be in my brain forever, just completely imprinted. How is there still a second half of this movie to go? It just keeps... I think a friend of mine said something along the lines of, there's a particular scene, um, which I won't go into, with Nicole and Alex. And they said, in any other movie, this would be the, you know, the big spike in the film. This would be the conversation topic. In this movie, it's just one of the scenes. It's like every scene is like that. Um, and I'm so proud of it. So, so proud of it. I'm gonna avenge you, father! I'm gonna save you, mother! I'm gonna kill you, Fiona! Well, there you have it. Our in-depth guide to the making of this modern-day classic. This is a film quite unlike any other historical epic, bringing a surreal and long-forgotten world back to us in all its spectacle and glory. Like the best folklore, the Northman carries universal stories about the human experience. Robert Eggers is a filmmaker who vividly places that folklore in the context of a specific time and place. This is a sword-swinging Viking adventure of the highest order, with moments you're not likely to forget anytime soon. I will avenge you, father. I will save you, mother. I will kill you, father. If you haven't already, make sure that you book your tickets for The Northman. It's out worldwide from April 14th, and it's absolutely not to be missed. Thanks so much for joining me.
The Northmen, the official podcast, is a Little Dot Studios production for Universal. The show was hosted by me, Christina Newland. It was produced by Kate Vogel, Ellie Aitken, and Jack Clark, with editing from Mike Munzer. It was executive produced by Tim Struthers, Tom Hemsley, and Hal Arnold. <laughs>